The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. We're going to read John 6, 36 through 47. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you so much that um, you draw us to yourself, Lord, that you pursue us and uh, you don't cast us out. Um, I pray that you would just open our hearts and our eyes to what you have for us. Um, Thank you for blessing us and you have so much to give um, to us today. And um, I just pray for extra confidence for Randall and thank you um, so much for being with him and um, for the word that you're going to speak through him. Um, bless our Sunday, and thank you for your love. Amen. 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 Thanks, Shannon. All right, well, good morning. Uh, happy Fourth of July weekend. We're going to be continuing in our series called We Believe, and this morning our text is from John chapter 6, verses 36 through 47. What we're going to be focusing on in this text is His grace. And so all, uh, these past weeks we've been talking about different uh, things that Jesus brings in, things that we believe as Christians. And so today we're talking about his grace. To get us started this morning, I want us to think on this. What do you believe it is that makes you a Christian? What do you think it is that makes you a Christian? You know, for some of us, and we wouldn't put this out there on social media, but we'd say, you know, well, I feel like I was just a little bit smarter than everybody else, right? Like, kind of like saw Christianity, was like, I think that's the right one. Uh, For others of us, we say, well, maybe I'm just more of a moral person, and so I feel like that's what made me a Christian, is I was just more of a moral person, so when I saw Christianity, I said, you know, I I think that's the way. Others of us might say, well, you know, I was just born into a really good family, and so that's what really got me to where I'm at today, because I was born in a good family, and that's what made me a Christian. We could have a lot of different variables and reasons for what we would say would make us a Christian today. But in this text, what we find out it is one simple word that makes you and I a Christian. Grace. It is grace that makes us Christians. In John chapter 6, Jesus reveals to us our deep need for grace and how none of us can make ourselves Christians apart from it. He essentially tells us if we claim to be Christians today, it is purely by God's grace that you and I are Christians. See, this is the uniqueness of Christianity. 
To that point, uh, Timothy Keller says this. I love this. He says, you go to Buddhism and it says, you can make yourself a Buddhist and here's how. You go to Islam and it says, you can make yourself a Muslim and here's how. You go to the humanist society and they'll say, you can make yourself a humanist and here's how. You go to Christ and what does he say? You can't be a follower of me unless the Father draws you, enables you, opens your mind and gives you the power to come to me. Jesus says no one can make themselves a Christian. You are what you are by the sheer grace of God alone. What is God's grace? That's what we're gonna look at today. Grace is not just something that we put on churches like Grace City Church, but it is something that is much deeper than this. Grace is the message that we don't earn, deserve, Uh, God's love, affection, righteousness, or acceptance, it is freely given through Jesus Christ. Grace is this acronym. I love this. God's riches at Christ's expense. The riches of God. Like, you want to know what it means to be a Christian? You want to know what it means to experience the riches of God? It's coming to Christ. It was at Christ's expense. It's what he did for us. God's riches at Christ's expense, grace. And so this message, we gotta admit this, opposes our modern thinking, our Western mindset. See, because today some of us have walked in and we feel like we are who we are because we've worked hard enough, we were good enough to get where we are, we were smart enough. You know, some of us would say, well, if, if we were, maybe we've had a few breaks along the way, but mostly it's been me. I'm the one who's made me who I am today. Others of us might feel like failures on that type of thinking. Say, well, I feel like I could have done better. I feel like I could have done more. I didn't get as many breaks as other people got. And so, What is the summation of my life then? It keeps some of us up at night. We think, well, why can't I just be good enough? Two polar opposites. I've done it. I can't do it. What does God say? Jesus turns this type of thinking on its head. He says the way that we evaluate our lives is not based on that, but he levels the playing field When Jesus talks, he says the opposite. He says, God has done everything for us, and we can take none of the credit. None of it. Grace, sheer grace. Now, when we're in this series, we're talking about what do we believe? Do you believe that? Would you claim that? Because today we can either hold on to ourselves in this belief that I'm good enough, I can do this on my own strength, or I'm not good enough and there's no way I could ever do it and so I'm a failure, or we can hold on to what Jesus says and he says, hold tightly to me, hold on to my grace. I'll get you through this. I was talking with a friend recently this week, uh, my friend Byron, we were sitting down for coffee. And one of the things that stuck out to me during our conversation was, he said, you know, there, I look back at my life. I say, there, there's a lot of different paths I could have gone. There's a lot of different people I could have been. But today, 
I don't know how I got here other than this, that God got me here by grace. He says, I look at the people, very similar lives. They grew up in the same place, had maybe some of the same issues that I did growing up and and all the obstacles that they faced. He says, today, I am who I am by grace. I couldn't have got here. See, that's what we're talking about today. It is a perspective on life that's different than what we naturally would see because it's, it's this. It's when you look at somebody's life and, and, and their life is a train wreck. And you say, that could have been me. It's not coming down, slamming them, saying how terrible of a person they, they are, but it's, being a person of grace is saying, looking at that and saying, that could have been me if it wasn't for the sheer grace of God in my life. Like God protected me. God got me to this place where I'm at, where I couldn't have been this person that I am today if it were not for him. It is leaning on Christ. And so our text today is John 6, 36 through 47. And the question that, that we're looking through this text is, well, what do we learn about God's grace from this text? And so there are three aspects to his grace And I'm going to give you all three up front, and and these are the three. His grace is shaped by the pursuit, the argument, and the security. The pursuit, the argument, the security. And so what does that mean? Well, the first one is the pursuit. What, What does this mean, the pursuit? Look at verse 36. Jesus says, but as I told you, you have seen me, and you still not, uh, do not believe. In this verse, Jesus is giving the most obvious reason for the people to believe. They just saw him feed 5,000 plus, right? So we're talking about upwards of 20,000 people. Saw him do that. His his disciples had just saw him walk on water. And they're wondering, okay, well, Jesus, what are you here to offer us today? Jesus is saying this. He's like, you have seen this amazing miracle, yet you still do not believe. And and you see me in the flesh. Now, some of us today would say, well, if if I was there during the time of Jesus, haven't we done this before? if, if If I was there with Jesus, I saw the miracles, I was standing next to him, I heard him speak, then I would really believe. I would really put my faith in him if if that were true. If I could have stood right next to him and heard that, what Jesus is saying is no. No, you wouldn't. These people who were standing right next to him, they didn't believe. Even the disciples, it says in the book of Mark that their hearts were hardened as they saw Jesus feed the 5,000. They didn't understand it, so it says it hardened their hearts. Now, why is that? The spiritual truth from this is we do not pursue God with a pure heart. We we, we don't. We do not pursue God. Well, why? Um, Here is how the Bible describes our spiritual state. It's your spiritual state. It's my spiritual state. Here's what it is. It says, um, Ephesians 2.5, we are dead in trespasses and sin. Ephesians 2.3, in Romans 5.18-20, says we are children of wrath. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. 
John 3.19 and John 8.34 says we are held captive by a love for sin and darkness. Romans 3, uh, 10 through 11 says we do, don't seek God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says we do not understand the things of God. Romans 1.18 says we suppress the truth of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says we reject the gospel of Christ as foolishness. Romans 8.7 says our mind is hostile toward God. How could we stand next to Christ and not believe? It's impossible for us. We are spiritually dead. See, the, the message of Christianity is this. It's, it's not making bad people good people. It's making dead people alive. Right, and so what we're talking about here is the impossible. In 2010, there was a New York Times article by a guy named Chuck Klosterman, and he entitled this article, My Zombie, Myself, Why Modern Life Feels Rather Undead. And in this article, he talks about the rise of our fascination with zombies. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's everywhere. Everything is about zombies, right? And you're like, what is going on here? He said, roughly 5.3 million people watched the first episode of The Walking Dead on AMC, a stunning 83% more than the 2.9 million who watched the season four premiere of Mad Men. He says, what if contemporary people are more attracted to allegories of how their day-to-day existence feels? That would explain why so many people watched the first episode of The Walking Dead. They knew they would be able to relate to it. Do you feel like that? Answering emails endlessly, driving your car, feeling like you don't have a thought going through your mind? Right, and, and, and why is that? Because what we're pursuing right now is only gonna lead to death. And what we see in the scriptures is that we are spiritually dead and that we do not pursue God on our own. And so what do we need? God must pursue us. God must pursue us. See, the pursuit is verse 38. Look at it. It says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus is saying, I have come on a mission trip. I've come on a rescue mission for the world. And so he came from this verse, and we see that the Father is the one who sent him. God pursues us. See, many of us have this visual of God as the big guy upstairs, right? Have you heard that terminology before? He's like the big guy upstairs. We listen to Stairway to Heaven. Like, how do I get my way up there? Is it the stairway that I gotta climb to get there, to get to God? No, what we see is the opposite. See, many of us have this visual of God at the top of the stairs yelling, hey, come up here to me. You need to come to me. And so we work, we work, we work, we try to pursue, but we try to do it on our own good works. And what we're missing the whole time is that God has pursued us. He's not the God at the top of the stairs yelling, come to me, but he's the one who came down to us. Right, that's the gospel. That is the good news, that we have a God who is pursuing us 
purely out of grace. Because what we find is that as we look at our spiritual state, we're not that lovely. Right, like we like to think, well, I'm a little bit worth pursuing. Like, I've got some good qualities. What we find is that we are a very rebellious people against God. Yet God is running after rebels. He's pursuing them passionately. Why is he pursuing them? Out of grace. Grace. See, 1 John 4.19 says this, we love because he first loved us. It wasn't anything lovely in us that had him coming after us to pursue us. But it is a God of grace who says, I'm going to go after them because I love them. I love them. And so then comes the argument. That's the second point. We'll find in verses 41 through 42. Here's, here's the argument. Sorry, in verse 41, it says, at this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, not, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? See, the argument that was going on in their mind and their hearts was not over whether Jesus says he's the bread, but over the fact that he says, I came down from heaven. He came down from heaven. Now, now this is hard for them to believe because in, in the arguments starting to happen in their mind. They say, well, we know his parents. We know, like Joseph, Mary. Yeah, we know them. How could he say that he came down from heaven? But what they didn't know was the angel who pronounced to Mary that she would be carrying the Son of God. What they didn't know was the Holy Spirit that would come in and Jesus would be born. Right? They, they didn't know that part, but they thought they knew it, and so they were ready to argue about it and say, that's, that's impossible. Like, how could, how could Jesus say that he came down from heaven? It's a lot like grace. See, grace does not make sense. It's hard to believe. It's hard to receive. Grace is not logical. That's why it's amazing. See, do you feel your heart trying to make logical explanations for why you're a Christian? Do you feel your mind and your heart trying to make logical explanations about why God should love you? Do you feel yourself building this resume before God saying, don't I deserve your love today? Look at what I've done. I've read my Bible, I've prayed, I've done all, which are good things, but what we do is we make it a checklist. It's a checklist. Well, I followed you, God. I did all of these things for you. We start to argue how we've earned grace, and the beautiful thing about grace is you can't earn it. See, God sends this clear message. It's not about us, and that we are so lost in our sins and so dead that we needed the Son to come down from heaven to die for us. See, it's, it's really the opposite. As we are dead in our sins, he brings us to life, and it took the Son of God coming and dying for us, coming back to life. See, 
That's the grace. The argument ends when we believe that we need the impossible to happen. God to come down from heaven to die for us, to rescue us. See, do you see yourself as a beggar today? That's offensive, right? Like, oh, I don't receive charity. I'm not a beggar. I, I, I've got a lot of good things going for me. But, but when, when we come to the scriptures, what we see is that we are all beggars. We're all beggars. And we are beggars looking for bread, who Jesus is, just telling other beggars like, hey, it's Jesus. Hey, it's Jesus. When are we gonna stop arguing? Making ourselves feel elevated better than other people, right? It's not true. We are all at this level plane of being beggars before God, saying we need the bread of life. The argument's over when we understand grace. The third point, and this is really important, is the security, the security of this. When you you have been saved by the grace of God, right? Like we didn't earn it. Like we, we received it. And so can you unearn something that you didn't earn? No. What we see here is that we find a security that we never thought possible because of God's grace. Look at verse 37. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Verse 39 says, I will lose none of those he the Father has given me, but raise them up on the last day. What is your deepest fear? What's my deepest fear? Rejection. Rejection, right? Like not feeling good enough. That if we laid it all out there and we said, this is who I am, this is what I need, and somebody says, no. Scientists have done studies on this and they said that, um, you know, you, you wonder like, why does it hurt so badly when you reject it? And as they did studies and they put people through MRIs and asked them the question, what is the most uh, difficult time of rejection that you faced? What happens is they saw something, they, they saw a part of our brain that started to trigger, started to light up at that question. Because what they found is that the personal rejection that we feel is the same area in our brain that lights up when we feel pain, physical pain. It hurts that deeply. That's, that's why like times where you're like, you, you get like a small rejection and you're like, that really, sh-, like I, I should know that that shouldn't hurt so bad right now. Why do I feel like that really hurts me right now? I should really move past this. But it's hard because you are feeling a physical pain because of it. And, and so when we come to God, what, what, do we, what do we expect? Like, okay, there are people who, who've lived their whole lives, and, and, and I've heard this, where they say, if I could just make it to the end and come to God, and if he would just accept me, if I could just do enough good things for him to accept me, that's not what he's asking of us. He's saying, here's the security When you lay your life at the feet of Jesus, he promises that he's not gonna reject us. He gives us the promise that he will not 
cast us out. See, isn't that the thing that we wonder and we worry about? Like today, like, okay, is God gonna love me today? Does he still love me based on what I did last night? Or this past week? See, God says, you're my child. And just as you're a part of the family, I'm not gonna kick you out of the family when you're mine. It says the Father gives me those who are in. Right, the Father draws, the Father brings, he brings them into the family. They are adopted. Right, that's what the Bible talks about, adoption into the family. Galatians 3.26 says this, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. One of the things I found is, um, you know, as, as my son's getting older, he's six right now, and he's getting a little more crafty on getting himself into trouble, right? Like he thinks mom and dad don't know certain things, and so he always is wondering, like, how did you guys catch me? So he wants to not only know like, okay, am I free or not? Like how did they catch me so that I don't get caught the next time? And that's, that's how his mind is working, right? That's how our hearts work. But one of the things I found was like when I would catch him and he would run to his room and he would start crying, I said, son, why didn't you tell me the truth? Why didn't you just lay it out there for me? He said, dad, I'll tell you why. If I would have told you, I thought you were gonna be really mad and you were gonna kick me out of the house. Like, son, I'm not gonna kick you out of the house. (laughs) You're six, you know what I mean? Like, no, I'm not gonna kick you out of the house. Like that, that is what a bad parent would do, right? Like they would be like, okay, you did something bad and so you're done, forever. Right, but you stick with it and you say, okay, this was wrong, this was bad, we caught you, but okay, let me help you to keep going forward and move forward. Because even as parents, we understand this word grace. Now, what kind of parent would God be? He says, every time you get in trouble, I'm gonna give you this feeling of, okay, you might get kicked out. That's why it says in Romans chapter eight, verse one, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hold on, so the gavel isn't gonna be dropped on me if I, no. Well, does that mean that I can go do whatever I want? When you've experienced grace, your mind has been transformed. My my son doesn't say, oh great, now dad's forgiven me, sweet, and I'm gonna go do something else bad. Right, like, like that's not his first immediate reaction. Like it's like, whoa. And ever since he was young, we have tried to teach him and the girls this word grace. Grace is not brushing it under the rug and saying that nothing happened. And stomping it on the ground and saying, oh yeah, it doesn't really matter. No, it does matter. But grace is absorbing the hurt onto yourself, as Christ did for us. Somebody's absorbing hurt from it, right? 
Somebody's feeling the pain, but it's saying, son, you're not gonna feel the pain. Daughter, you're not gonna feel the pain. Mommy and daddy do. Why do we have this kind of security? Because Jesus came down, died on a cross, and absorbed the pain. He absorbed it for us. That's why we can have the type of security that doesn't kick us out every time we do something wrong. And so some takeaways for today is how do we apply his grace to our hearts? The first one is this. His grace levels the playing field. His grace levels the playing field. Today you might have walked in and you say, well, yeah, I, I understand that grace is for other people, but there's no way that it could be for me. I want you to erase that from your mind. Right, like, just as we sang earlier, sin runs deep, but his grace runs deeper. His grace is enough. His grace is sufficient. I know many of us have heard the hymn, Amazing Grace, and uh, I want to tell you the story about the guy that wrote this song. His name's John Newton. I don't know if you know much about John Newton in his life, but he, uh, he became a, a believer. He went to church, right? Went to church and said, yeah, I'm a Christian. But one of the things that very few people know about John Newton is that after he said he became a Christian, he became a commander of a slave ship. And so he was a part of taking human lives and destroying them. And so he was a part of this process that was happening, right? And he says, well, I can justify this. And so he continues on. And one night out at sea, it was like the grace of God just smacked him and said, what you're doing is wrong. Did God kick him out of the house? He kind of kicked him in the face, right? Like, no. This is wrong. And he dropped on his knees. And from that moment on, he went and did everything he could to end slavery. And in that process, he wrote the song Amazing Grace. And so how did he view himself? He says that God would save a wretch like me. What other people would have said, oh, that's fine. No longer God says, that's okay in your life. No. And he saw himself as a wretch. Gives a whole different picture to amazing grace, right? Like, whoa, okay. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. God levels the playing field even for the worst of us. Like who's the person who you think in your mind, there's no way that God could save them. There's no way that God could do a work in their life. Amazing grace saves the wretch in all of us. It levels the playing field. Grace helps us to know that no one is out of the reach of God's love. No one is out of the reach of God's love. 
The second uh, takeaway for today is this. His grace is not dependent on you. Once you place your life in Christ's hands, you're saying, my life's not about me. And so his grace is not dependent on me. Many of us would describe our lives as a roller coaster, right? Like it's like going up and down and up and down and up and down. And uh, we compare this visual, the same visual to God. We say, well, if, if that's how my life is going right now, like I'm having like really high highs and so God's gotta love me up on the mountaintops, but really low lows in the valley. There's no way that he could love me down here. This has to be how his grace works. No. What we find is that he has a steadfast love. So it is like solid, right? Like rock solid, steadfast love. But also his grace is sufficient and solid in staying right there even when your life is a roller coaster. His grace is not like that. And what we we need to remember is that his grace is like separate from our performance. Even on your worst days. Do you believe that Jesus loves you apart from your performance for him and embraces you on the acceptance of knowing his son? That's it. See, in Matthew chapter seven, when, when Jesus is looking at those who did all of these works He says, depart from me, for I never knew you. Well, Jesus, didn't we do all these things for you? And then another group comes in front of Jesus, and and he says, welcome. What was the difference? They knew him. It was a relationship with him. It wasn't, here's all the things I've done for you. See, here's the thing. Here's, here's what we need to, to really press down into our hearts and our minds. Like, today, you're not saved because you're a good dad. I'm a good dad. Like, I want to be a good dad. I want to do everything I can to be a, a good dad. But that doesn't save me. Right? Jesus saves me. And he makes me a better dad. And I'm just so glad for this, this beauty of grace. You know, I, I remember when, uh, I'm gonna confess something here. This is, when I was 22 years old, I thought I knew what love was. I thought I know what, you know, being romantic was. It's like visual, like I, I know what this is. And, um, my beautiful wife now for almost 11 years, it'll be 11 years next week, we'd been dating for three years and there was a point where I had to propose, right? And so I remember getting ready and thinking in my mind, um, what's the most romantic thing I can do? And I don't know if you've seen like all these proposals these days and things and like even people for, for uh, prom, like, they're, like, going crazy, right? And so I, I had none of the access to this stuff. So I'm, like, thinking, what's the most romantic thing that I can do? And so we were, I was flying out. I had the ring in my pocket. And I'm, like, we're, we're going to Philadelphia. Okay. 
What's in the city of Philadelphia? Well, the greatest boxer who ever lived. Rocky Balboa. Okay, well, what did Rocky do? Rocky proposed to Adrian at the zoo, the Philadelphia Zoo. And so what I could do is take her as we're rolling around Philadelphia to the zoo, and I will propose to her there, and she'll make the connection like, oh, wow, Rocky did this. (laughs) And so we're going around, and I had this idea, and I'm like so nervous, and we get to the zoo, and we're walking around, and I think I threw out a Rocky line, like while we were there, like, oh, this is gonna be cool. She's gonna make the connection, so good. I come out, I go on one knee, right before the trolley comes to pick us up, and she looks at me, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm proposing to you, you know? And so I'm like down on my knee, I'm I'm handing it over the ring, and I'm like, okay, like, will you marry me? And she looked at me, and water, you know, tears in her eyes, like, yes, I'll marry you. And uh, we talked about it later. She doesn't watch Rockies, right? Like, she doesn't know about Rocky and and all this stuff, And, and I, and I thought, you know, I told her, I was like, you know, I was trying to do that, that thing like Rocky, you know, it was really cool. That is grace that she said yes. <laughs> Pure grace on my life. Right, there's no like, yeah, this is what I did and it was so cool. I have to live with that for the rest of my life. <laughs> now, and she does too, but that my wife says yes. Now, my performance was terrible. It was terrible. My wife has been gracious to me to this day. Right, like that, that's what covers my life, friends. Like, like as I'm telling you this today, Jesus loves you apart from your performance. I want this quote to stick with you. It's, it's your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Like we think we're on the mountain, uh-uh. We only got there because of Jesus, because purely grace. And you feel like you're so low that you can't come to him? His grace is sufficient for you, friend. The third is um, his grace draws us, it doesn't drive us. Um, really quickly, there, there was a pastor named Jonathan Edwards, and, and he was a pastor in Massachusetts from 1730 to 1740 for about 15 years. And one of the things about him was he was, he was perplexed one day about uh, why there were certain people that would claim to be Christian, but there was no difference in their life. And so he's thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. He's like, you know, there, there's certain people who say, like, I love Jesus and then they get baptized, and then they might do a few good things here and there, but he says they're still hardened, like really mean, don't, don't wanna be around that type of person, right, like super stingy. He's like, and then there's these other people that do the same thing, right? They, they accept Jesus, and then they get baptized, and then they're like, their life is just completely different. He says, what, what's the, what, what is the, the, the difference between these two people? And, and what his conclusion was is he says, the, the people 
that understand they were drawn by God, not driven to have to do things for God, actually loved God more. What it says is that the Father draws us. Right, like we think, well, we, we, we have this picture, this visual of like he's driving us to come to Jesus. Like I gotta get in line, I gotta get here, I gotta, I gotta make myself get to Jesus and so I gotta do all these things to get to him. No, what, what, the, what the scripture says is he draws us in. And, and the difference with the people that were drawn in, they said, I want Jesus because I owe him everything. I want him just because he deserves my life. I want him for the beauty of who he is, the greatness and the majesty of who he is. See, when, you, when, you're, when you're drawn in to the beauty of Christ, you don't have to be convinced to live for Christ. It comes from Inside out. Inside out. Do you see the Father drawing you? Romans 2, 4 says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's his kindness that draws us in. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. All right. Hey, follow all the rules and get those things right and then you can live with me. No. It's his kindness that breaks down the walls of our heart. He draws us in. Do you see him drawing you in? The fourth point is his grace offers no room for pride. If you believe you're saved purely by grace, you can't claim any reason that you are better than another person. Grace gives you a gospel humility that is winsome to others. When people are around you, they say, man, you just, I just really enjoy being around you because, again, you just don't tear people down. You don't feel like you gotta judge other people. It gives you a gospel humility, right? Grace. And you know it's all grace. You're like, I got no room for pride because then you know that every gift you have is from him. Every advance that you make in your life is because of him. And so all glory goes to him. And that's the last point. He deserves all the credit. Let's be honest. Who's the hero of your story? Who gets the credit? When people ask you, like, how did you get to where you are? The Apostle Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. 1 Corinthians 15.10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Yeah, that's weird to the world. That doesn't make sense. Hold on, so you are who you are by the grace of God. Like, what does that mean? There's no way I could be the person I am today if it wasn't for God. And I know that personally. In my life, I would not be the person I am if it was not for the grace of God. Here's the gospel this morning. How can Jesus say that you can come to him you will never be cast out because ultimately Jesus was cast out by the Father and on the cross he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken 
so that we could be eternally accepted. Grace. It's like what Isaac Watts says in his hymn, The Water and the Blood. Lord, we confess our many faults and how great our guilt has been. Foolish and vain were all of our thoughts. No good could come from within. It's not by works of righteousness which our hands have done, but we are saved by our Father's grace abounding through the Son. Today, do you believe what makes you a Christian is his grace? Let's pray. Father, may we not just speak about grace when we say grace city. We pray, God, that we will be a people of grace, a people who know we can take no credit for anything good that's happened, that, God, we can take no credit for the life that we have today. It's all because of Jesus. God, I just pray that you reveal the areas in our hearts and our minds where we're arguing with that. We're saying, yeah, but, where we're trying to take some credit for ourselves, where we're trying to hold on to our lives. God, help us to surrender because you deserve it all. Help us, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.